If you need a laugh, here on your behalf It's bad mates, are we fighting crime? Or just wasting time? It's bad mates, lunch, boom, crash, kapow Stream a download, holy cow You can stop listening now to bad mates Because we're bad mates Hello and welcome to Batmates, a cosmic episode. Ooh. My name is Becca, and there's a starman waiting in the sky. He'd like to come and meet us, but he thinks he'll blow our minds. My name is Josh, and the joke doesn't really work in like audio medium, I don't think. You get, okay, Super Mario Bros. You get the Starman. Yeah. Jokes always work better when you explain them. Everybody Absolute, knows that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, ready? Beep 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 beep. Oh. Hot off the presses. It's time for news. It's oh, time no. for Batmates news. I wasn't ready. <laughs> Batmates is a podcast where we talk about Batman in the Silver Age. But before we do that, we usually talk about news. And here's the news. The Spyscape Museum in Manhattan is teaming up with DC Comics to deliver a Batman interactive experience. Guests will be tasked with infiltrating Leviathan, an anti-superpower organization, with the help from Oracle, Barbara Gordon, in order to solve a series of kidnappings. The narrative is written by Birds of Prey, Batgirl, and Wonder Woman writer Gail Simone, with art by Marvel and DC artists Jim Calafiori. Head over to Spyscape's website to sign up for updates. So we won't have to go all the way to Paris to go to a Batman escape room. (laughs) Although we are going to Paris. It's not exactly an escape room. It's going to be something where there's like a mobile app that you can download and you get fed stuff. And there's also like those kiosks that you interact with. Do we have to go through the entire Spyscape Museum again to experience it? Or is it like a second ticket? Uh, you remember they had that James Bond experience thing that was a separate ticket? Yeah. I think it's similar to that. Okay. Do we need to get general admission tickets first? Or to do <laughs> I don't know. Like I said, go to Spyscape's website and sign up for more details. Okay. Because they didn't announce like a, a start date on when it will be open, but it will be coming this year. That's exciting. If you haven't been to the Spy Museum in New York, I highly recommend it. It's really good. Here's my one criticism. It's uh, a little too uh, congratulatory to Edward Snowden and Glenn Greenwald for my tastes, but otherwise, good museum. Uh, I thought it was interesting. I learned about a World War II woman who had like a peg leg, not a peg leg, but like a a false leg, and she was a spy, and I hadn't learned about her in school. I thought it was really interesting. I like the one story about the guy who was a double agent who was feeding information to the Russians for years, and when they finally caught up to him, he was like, what took you so long? (laughs) That's true, yeah. That's my favorite. Who was he, CIA or FBI? Yeah, I think he was was FBI. Okay. Uh, Okay, so yeah, Uh, if you're interested in that, again, go to Spyscape's website. I will. In other news, Young Justice is off hiatus. I was wrong. I thought it was coming back in December. I'm sorry for the misinformation. There is a there's a new episode that you can go and watch right now. And also, Young Justice is getting a comic miniseries that will be a sequel to season four, titled Young Justice Targets, which is written by showrunner Greg Weissman. The first issue will be available digitally on June 14th and physically July 26th, 
with, I think, issues coming out monthly, uh, first digital, and then physical the month after. Cool. Yeah. Also announced, Batman Unburied, the Spotify audio drama, released a teaser trailer and a release date of May 3rd. It's so strange. It's weird, right? It's different. If you haven't, uh, you can feel free to pause the podcast, go and listen to the teaser trailer. It's only like two minutes long. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's different. I... I guess it's not really spoilers because they put it in the teaser trailer, but like Thomas Wayne is still alive. And Martha. And he's working with his son who... Who's not Batman? Who's not Batman. He might be Batman. I think I read... It's called Batman Unburied. It has to have Batman eventually. I read the ad copy and like he forgot that he was Batman and he's rediscovering it or something. Well, if Thomas is alive, if Thomas and Martha are alive, there's no reason for him to be Batman. Yeah, why did he become Batman? Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> we'll, I think have to, we'll have to wait until the series drops to figure out what exactly is going on. I think it's going to be like a perchance to dream kind of thing from the animated series where he uh, gets hypnotized into a dream world where his parents are still alive. I think it might be something similar to that. Okay. Well, but the Riddler is a good guy in this, kind of. Yeah, he takes on a, a role similar to we've seen him have in the comics before where he's like, I'm going to help you be a detective. I love it. <laughs> Let's see. Other news. DC and Webtoon are extending their partnership with more series. Nice. So I have been enjoying the Wayne Family Adventures webtoon. I think it's super cute, and I would die to protect any of the characters within it. Uh, And they're coming out with more webtoons. There is one based on Vixen. There's going to be one based on Red Hood and the Outsiders. And there's also going to be a Zatanna series. In the Zatanna one, Zatanna gets sent back in time and has to solve the Jack the Ripper murders. Oh, shoot. I love it. She becomes like one of his targets too, it says. Oh, but she's not a sex worker. She's she's helped out by John Constantine also. Okay. Who I guess is also time traveling. What? Do you have a theory about Okay. No. This is not a Ripperologist podcast. But do you have a theory about Jack the Ripper? I think he was just a crazy guy. Like a guy who had uh I don't know, some sort of psych- psychopathy or schizophrenia which made him believe that it was his job to kill sex workers do you think that there's a possibility that he was a member of the royal family Mm, probably not Mm. (laughs) okay i think that it would be below them to intermix and mingle with the commoners like that probably i don't know it's interesting theory though I was reading From Hill a little while back, a very good Alan Moore comic, which posits that theory. Well, next on the list is Warner Brothers released a deleted scene from Matt Reeves' The Batman in which Barry Keown, who people might know from the Eternals movie, plays an Arkham inmate, which is pretty clearly supposed to be the Joker. It was a reward for the final Rata Alada riddles before the site was seized by the GCPD. <laughs> I love it. I love metaverse things. <laughs> what did you think of the deleted scene? Are you glad that it was cut from the movie? Do you think it should have been in the movie? I think it was all right. What do you think of the performances in it? I thought the performances were actually really good. I okay. liked, I liked his accent. I just sort of like 
Brooklyn-y sort of like newsboy-ish sort of <laughs> Gotham accent. Um, I liked the sort of like allusion to that they've had an adventure before that he was like, oh, it's our it's our anniversary. And I was like, hmm, I like that they're not like telling me too much. About yeah, it. it's really cool because that movie is supposed to be set like year two Batman or whatever. I also like that Joker is not like, ah, the ultimate big bad. He's just like, yeah, this is a guy that Batman's just sort of tussling with from the beginning. <laughs> also, if you think about it, technically he could mean that it's his anniversary of, if they're going with the Ace Chemicals. Oh, interesting. It's his anniversary of that. Yeah, but I don't know if they are. And that's one of the things that I don't like about the scene is his, like, appearance is very much, they were like, ah, let's just do Heath Ledger Joker, I guess. He's got a, he's got a messed up mouth. Uh, (laughs) And he's not really, like, pale, like, you know, bright white skin. He's just sort of a little pale. Yeah. He's he's a guy with a messed up mouth and pale skin, and that's it. Yeah. I don't know. I thought it was all right. Don't know how he keeps his hair green in uh, prison like that, but <laughs> I'm chemicals, maybe. Again, yeah. That's a, that's the whole thing. Is if he fell into the vat of chemicals, that's the canon. Yeah. His skin looks badly burned, so I'm only to bet it's probably that. Okay. Okay. That's my headcanon. Do you think... Okay, people are already talking about a sequel to the movie. Do you think that he'll show up in a, in a sequel? It should be a prequel. Really? Yeah. If, they, if they're going to show the Joker story, it should be a prequel. I'm not saying it has to be a prequel. I'm saying that maybe he'll show up as like somebody who maybe has to help Batman with a case or something. Yeah, again. I, I did like the sort of Hannibal Lecter vibes. Very like Silence of the Lambs mm-hmm. from that deleted scene. Um, I like that they sort of had, like, uh, rapport. They seem to have good chemistry, which is all you can really ask out of a Batman and Joker. They have pretty good chemistry. So. I guess so. Yeah. You always want there to be a little bit of, like, ooh, maybe the Joker kind of, like, loves Batman a little bit. <laughs> That's always fun. Well, they need each other. They do. It's true. Um, but, yeah, I think that could be interesting. I mean, we already really enjoyed the team-up of Batman and Jim Gordon in this movie, so it could be cool to have, like, a Batman-Joker sort of team-up. In another movie? I don't know. I'd like maybe to see him even, work with Jim Moore. Maybe even just like from jail, like in uh, Silence of the Lambs. Oh, uh, then that's a little bit more. It's a little too. Uh, it's more like a long Halloween. I was gonna say long Halloween calendar man type deal. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I would be interested to see him show up again. I didn't like the little like cameo that he had at the end of the movie. Where he was like, I'm your friend, Riddler. It was sort of weird and kind of broke up the pacing of the ending. Yeah. When they sort of needed to jump to that, like, uh, emotional, like, beat at the end where he's like, I need to be hopeful. Yeah. I don't really want to get my hopes up too much about there being any sort of sequel Matt Reeves movie. I feel like DC is already way too entrenched in their current projects. And they're not really good at, like pivoting quickly the way marvel is that's true they're very they're very clumsy when it comes to like building their cinematic universe yeah like i read a quote from i think it was kevin feige who was like the great thing about marvel is like we don't really have a plan which is great (laughs) that gives them the opportunity to see like okay what's popular what's not great wandavision did amazingly let's make sure that we really like 
play up her character in Multiverse of Madness. And, you know, people are really invested in the story of, like, her getting her kids back. But if the show hadn't done well, maybe they would have just been, like, quietly, like, oh, yeah, and then Wanda was sad and she went away for a while. Mm-hmm. Who knows? So the fact that they don't necessarily have a plan makes it easy for them to respond to what audiences are reacting to. Yeah, it makes it easy for them to pivot, basically. Yeah. But DC has been so, like, oh, we gotta create this, this cinematic universe and now they're like oh we gotta reset it so well even and now though- they have these issues we didn't i've talked about it in news because it's not news that's really related to batman but like now you have the, these things coming out that like ezra miller is getting oh arrested he broke into a somebody's house in hawaii and started like yelling at them while they were asleep <laughs> he's like threatening them i can't he's like i'll kill you and your wife or something oh my god this is we don't stand ezra miller in this house anymore are we still gonna see Flash? Like, sure, why not? I mean, uh, he already got paid for it. It's not like us seeing it is gonna. I don't I think guess. he has any any deal where he gets like a portion of the the ticket sales. What a weirdo. He's not a. Uh, he's not Jack Nicholson. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I. It's so weird to. It's gonna be very interesting to see where they take things with the Flash, especially. If the Flash movie is like, and now the Flash is the jumping off point because Ezra Miller like can't be used in stuff anymore because he's no. clearly gone off the deep end. Jenny Nicholson had this really great uh, tweet about, you know, so Ezra Miller is also in the uh, the Fantastic Beasts movies. Oh, yeah. And she's like, yeah. eventually it's going to become like a ship of Theseus kind of thing where every single actor from <laughs> the Fantastic Beasts movie is going to get canceled and have to be replaced by a different actor. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It's gonna be very interesting to see where Warner Brothers goes with things. Mm-hmm. I would, I mean, I wouldn't hate another Matt Reeves movie if they put one. No, out, I'd love it. You know, I would also be interested to see maybe what other directors wanted to do with things. Mm-hmm. Who knows? You know, we, we we can't tell. We're not there at Warner, but we're not the crazy executives who make the stupid decisions at Warner Brothers. No. I don't think... Uh... I guess the, the best thing that we can we can say is that, like, Warner Brothers may make bad decisions, but they don't make, like, Sony Pictures level of bad decisions. Oh, that's true. Can we talk about Morbius for a second? <laughs> sure, let's talk about Morbius for Okay, a I watched Morbius in an almost entirely empty theater. Because I didn't go with you because I knew it was going to be bad. I was so hopeful that I would be the only one there, but then right before it started, like, a couple came in. But they were, <laughs> they were quiet the whole time. I felt bad, though, because, like, as soon as I was like, ah, oh, sweet... The entire theater is empty. I am going to play on my phone throughout, like, most of this movie. <laughs> like, I will pay attention, but, like, it'll be great. I can also definitely play on my phone a little bit. But I was like, oh, I don't want to be rude. But, like, it was in one of those huge AMC theater. It's not AMC. It's one of those huge theaters with, like, the, the reclining seats. And I was like, I'm pretty sure they can't see my phone screen if I just, like, <laughs> whip it out. So I was playing on my phone, and nobody told me to put it away. But I kind of wish I'd been alone. Anyway, uh, the movie was quite bad. Um, (laughs) Matt Smith was the only saving grace because he didn't realize that he was in a bad movie, but he did embrace all of the badness, which made it good. I heard he gets a dance number. He has two dance numbers. (laughs) Yeah. No, he was great. Um, I read that before taking the movie, he called up uh, Karen Gillian who plays Nebula uh, in Guardians of the Galaxies, 
and uh, they were they were you know on Doctor Who together, and he was like, "Oh, Karen, should I should I take this?" opportunity what's it like being in a superhero movie and she's like oh it's super fun you should absolutely do it (laughs) so she wins the award for biggest troll and worst friend ever (laughs) so thanks karen um and yeah that movie was just a, a big pile of garbage also the best part was that i had no sense of the pacing of it so i actually did pull out my phone at one point and check the runtime and I was like, how much this movie is left? And I figured I had like, I figured they were sort of gearing up for the final fight scene. And I was like, okay, they're going to have their final fight scene. It'll be a big confrontation, maybe 10-ish minutes, a couple set pieces. Uh, and then there'll be some denouement and then whatever like twist cliffhanger thing they've got. So I do really have to pee. I can miss the beginning of this fight scene. So fight scene hasn't started uh jared leto morbius has just landed in like the place where they're gonna have their final fight scene i get up to go to the bathroom i'm gone maybe two minutes and i come back and to my horror the only other couple who was there is leaving the theater and i was like oh no and i come in and uh michael keaton is up on screen and they're like oh this random man materialized from nowhere and i was like wait what happened to morbius what was the final fight was it really only a minute long (laughs) um and then yeah so he materializes and then the credits roll and there's a weird mid-credits scene where he comes in inexplicably in his uh like vulture vulture suit but like a different one not the same one that he had in the mcu movies and his literal dialogue is like oh he meets morbius in like a field and he literally this is almost the exact quote he's like hey i don't know how i got to this universe i think it has something to do with spider-man anyway i think we should team up and morbius is like i'm listening and that's it (laughs) that's the dialogue um and I just can't believe I missed the final fight scene. So I had to go on Wikipedia and look up what I missed. And basically he just like sets his uh, ba- vampire bats on Matt Smith, who is the villain of the piece. And uh, then his girlfriend who died in the previous scene wakes up with new vampire powers and that's it. It sounds like it's generous to call this a piece. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite an experience. I do feel like I do need to look up like a cam recording or something just to get a sense of how the character's story actually ends. Because I know this isn't getting a sequel. It better not. It better not. So I'll never know if I don't seek it out. You know what? This is, I really should have learned by now to not watch Jared Leto movies. Hmm. That's it. Definitely. I mean, Jared Leto, almost Sony Pictures in general. Like, when's the last time you saw like a really good... Sony Pictures movie that wasn't the Spider-Man movie that was, like, co-created by Disney. <laughs> hmm. Because they put out the bad Ghostbusters movie in 2016. Well, are, are you talking about Into the Spider-Verse? Yeah. Spider-Verse is really good. That's not Disney. That's it not- was co-created with Disney. Was it? Because they used, like, all their characters and stuff. Huh. Oh, no, you're talking Into the Spider-Verse. Sorry, yeah. I'm talking about um, Spider-Man No Way Home or whatever. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. No, Into, Into the, the Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse is a great movie. Okay, but that's like Sony animation, okay. which is, I want to say, yes, they're the same, the same like, what is it? Not publisher. 
Distributor? Distributor. But, like, it's... I want to say it's different people are making the decisions. Wouldn't it be really great if we got a Warner Brothers Sony crossover movie? They just did, like... I don't I don't even know which characters that would involve, but I just think that would be hilarious. Uh, what does Sony I want, own, even? I want the dialogue of a Sony movie and, like, the vibe of a Warner Brothers movie <laughs> directed by Zack Snyder, but then hastily rewritten by Joss Whedon. <laughs> But then directed by Ezra Miller. <laughs> with, with like, somebody from Sony Studios uh, picking apart the final edit. And exactly. Like... Edited by Sony Studios, <laughs> written by Zack Snyder, directed by Ezra Miller. That's the unholy trinity. <laughs> it's a candidate for the worst movie ever yeah. made. Starring Jared Leto. <laughs> and um, Ben Affleck. Pre-rehab. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so I have one more piece of news. We would just pause the podcast, though, because our cat was making noise. And during that time, I uh, registered for the Batman Spyscape experience. But So I got a message saying that I'm now on the VIP list. Um, although technically, they should be sending me advance tickets since I am media. I, you know, I'm, I'm part of the press. There's no way we're going to get media credentials. This is a podcast with several listeners. You think if we bring our business card to the Spyscape and pretend that we're press, that they let us in our way? Well, no, they probably would have issued us, like, advanced tickets. I'm sure they're coming. Just keep checking the mail. <laughs> keep checking our mail. Yeah, it'll come. It better. Okay, here's the final piece of news so we can get into the comic. Okay, Suicide Squad Killed the Justice League, the video game by Rocksteady, was uh, delayed until 2023. Boo! Yeah, we don't get to play it this year. Good news is Gotham Knights is still on. That's October 25th, I think, is the release date. So we will get to play that this year. Mm, I'll play that Harry Potter game in the meantime. <laughs> you don't like crafting games. Why do you want to play the Harry Potter game? Is that so it's a crafting game? It's got crafting in it. I saw that. Well, it's... I mean, it just seems like it's a 3D adventure game. Okay. I don't know. Because I understand video game story logic, and I know that not they don't they don't tell you everything up front. Okay. I would be extremely surprised if it turns out to actually be an anti-Jewish, um, <laughs> anti-Semitic conspiracy. You can't just drop that without explaining it to the listeners. Okay. And do it within like five seconds because I want to get to the comic. Okay, so some people think that the goblins in Harry Potter are supposed to be a reference to like the the anti-Semitic conspiracy that like Jews run the banks in the world. But you know, as a Jewish person, I'm just like. Why is your immediate thought to be like, goblins equals Jews, am I right? Listen, there's a lot of reasons to not like J.K. Rowling, but I don't believe Her this... portrayal of goblins is not one. Yeah, I don't think that this game on its face value where it's like, you play a wizard who's gonna quash the goblin rebellion. Like, clearly it's not gonna be that. Clearly you're eventually gonna sympathize with the goblins. Yeah, clearly you're gonna, you're gonna side with the little guys, both physically and metaphorically, because <laughs> they're goblins. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is, I get it. The joke's funnier because I explained it. Detective Comics number 261, <laughs> The Doomed Batwoman, release date September 1960, writer, not available, mm. maybe Bill Finger. He mm. was writing on Detective Comics at this time, but nobody's listed on any of the sources I could find. Uh, penciler Sheldon Moldov, inker Charles Paris, and editors Murray Boltnoff and George Kashtan. The cover shows a man in a white costume with a red star on his head and a purple cape and gloves 
fleeing an arena while Batwoman glows and Batman exclaims, Great Scott! Starman is escaping and he's doomed Batwoman with that strange glow! It is reading this cover that I realized that Batman says, Great Scott! a lot. Because I was flipping through, like, some of the other issues around this one when I was trying to figure out who the writer for the comic was. And I want to say, of the, like, eight covers that I looked at, maybe three or four of them, he was saying, Great Scott. (laughs) And then something else. Good expression. I guess so. Was it, like, a common phrase back then? Yeah. Sir Walter Scott. Really, uh, you know, very popular back in the 50s, I guess. (laughs) Okay. And then, so on the teaser page, they have this little rundown of, he called himself the Star Man, for he wore a glowing star, a star that gave him mighty power. Uh, Okay. And we begin the comic with Bruce and Dick, quote, training their bodies to the peak of athletic perfection. I love that they can't exercise in any kind of normal way. (laughs) They're literally doing trapeze. And I'm no exercise scientist, but I have it on good authority that trapeze is the only way to work every major muscle group and build stamina. Mm. Mm. Followed by a panel that explains that the two are Batman and Robin. Obviously. You know it's going to be a good comic, and by that I mean a bad comic, when they waste a third of the first page reminding you who Batman is. Mm. Batman and Robin leave on patrol, with Batman noting that he has a date with Kathy Kane, otherwise known as Batwoman. The duo receive a police bulletin calling cars to the Gotham Museum. And once there, the Cape Crusader and Boy Wonder encounter Starman, who is roughly handling the museum curator and asking where a belt that was on display has gone. So two things that I really like about this page. There's this, like, shocked-looking jade cat statue in the background of this panel, and I... Just love him. Uh-huh. I want to know his story. Because he looks like he witnessed a crime. It's like jaw drops. I mean, he, he is witnessing a crime. Yeah. Intimidation like and attempted theft. I love it. Also, Starman looks like he works for the Kremlin. <laughs> he, he, his costume is very reminiscent of like Red Guardian from the Black Widow movie. Mm, yeah, a little bit. He's got the big red star. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was intentional or if they were just like, uh, I don't know. Red's a good color. Red That's like one color. of the... Four colors that we have to publish comics in. Yeah. So Batman interrupts the confrontation with a left hook, but not before Starman learns that the belt has been sold to a curio shop. Now, I have to admit, my mother has a curio cabinet, and literally, until I read this comic, I thought that that was just the name for that type of cabinet. You thought it was like a brand? Yeah, uh, I didn't realize that the that curio was a shortening of the word curiosity. Yeah. Like the curiosity shop in uh, the in Majora's Mask. I didn't play that game. You've never played Majora's Mask? No, I have not. Stop the podcast. We need to go play Majora's Mask right now. <laughs> I'm not going to go play Majora's Mask. Okay, well, someday you'll have to. Uh, yeah. What does your mom have in her curio cabinet? Uh, it's mostly Hummels, oh. like those little figurines. What's curious about those? Oh, uh, I don't know. They're, it's they're just, it's basically a display cabinet. <laughs> I think she has nice plates in there too, or something. Mm, okay. Uh, you know, it's just a it's just a display cabinet. It's another name for a display cabinet. We had one. We call it the break front. Why is that? 
I don't know. <laughs> we had a cabinet where we kept nice plates and, you know, Hanukkah candles and menorahs and light bulbs and batteries. Uh-huh. And, uh, I don't know, probably Polaroids and photographs. You know, I think... And we called that the break front. Maybe the reason why I thought that was because we had uh, basement doors that led to the outside. And my family always called them the Bilko doors. And I was like, oh, that's the type of door it is. It's literally a brand. Yeah. It's literally like the name of the brand uh, that makes those doors. It's not like the name for them, which I think they're called like storm hatches or okay. something. I don't know what the real name is. Okay. It's like how it took me a while to realize that like their word for a tissue is tissue and not Kleenex because my grandmother always called them Kleenex. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. People have those weird little blind spots. Yeah. It's hard when you're a kid and just like learning language to figure out what is brand name, what is the just the name for something. Yeah. It's always, I feel like, like parents do a disservice though, because then you're the kid who like shows up at school and like embarrasses yourself and you like <laughs> know something. That and spelling, I think are some of the hardest things because sometimes you'll learn how to pronounce a word, but not how to spell it and mm-hmm. you spell it the way it's pronounced and you're like way off. Or in your case where you'll read a word a lot, but you don't hear it spoken. And now here you are almost 30 years old thinking that the that it's indict instead of indict. <laughs> and you fight me out every single time. <laughs> There's no... I-T-E in that word. There's no reason it should be pronounced indict. It's I-N-D-I-C-T. Listen, all you need to know is that you should try to avoid it if you can. (laughs) That's all you gotta know. Uh, Anyway, Starman is unfazed by the punch from Batman and lifts a large Egyptian rock sculpture and throws it at the crime fighters with amazing strength. I'm really sickened by this wanton destruction of ancient artifacts. I know. Like they didn't even give me a backstory for this like slab or whatever it was, but it was really freaky when it like exploded. I was like, damn, that was probably worth a lot of money. Yeah. Batman and Robin are able to dodge because of their superbly trained bodies, the comic says. The comic seems very interested in how well these men's bodies are trained. Mm -hmm. I think if they're trying to avoid the accusations that came up in the seduction of the innocent, they should be a little more careful in the way that they word things. It's a trade-off. They've got Kathy Kane in this comics. They're like, we can be a little gayer than usual. (laughs) Because Batman's going to dance with a lady. Batman ropes the criminal, but Starman grabs the rope and throws Batman flying into an exhibit of a knight riding a horse, with Batman almost being shish by the lance. The museum is laid out terribly. Why are these Egyptian sculptures next to exhibits of medieval knights? These should be in completely different sections. Mm -hmm. Not only are they in different parts of the world, but they're from different periods of time by, like, 1,500 to 2,500 years? Yeah. Like... This, this museum needs to be better curated. Starman hears police sirens and flees the scene as he states that he is not invulnerable to bullets. <laughs> Batman speaks with the curator, who explains that the belt that Starman was looking for was donated by a man who explored Tibet. But the belt had no real value, so they sold it. I really want to know why the explorer, his name is Malcolm Fraser. Uh-huh. I really want to know why he didn't explain the belt's significance to the museum he donated it to. <laughs> he was just like, here, take this crap. I don't want it. And they were like, what is this, a 
H&M belt? All right, we're get rid of it. I get Well, the fact that he's like, Starman comes in and he's like, what was in that display case? It means that they displayed it for some period of time mm -hmm. before they were like, ah, this thing's useless. And yeah. then they sold it. Some donor walked by and they were like, why is there a random belt from Forever 21 sitting here amongst our artifacts <laughs> in our in our ancient Egyptian slash uh, medieval Europe room? Why? How does this fit in? <laughs> I, yeah, it's it's interesting to think that the explorer just showed up to the museum with like a big milk crate full of just like things that he picked up in his travels. Here's and he was my like, artifacts. Here you go. Yeah. Batman and Robin then check the curio shop that the museum sold the belt to where they find out from the owner that Starman has already come in looking for it, but also that the belt was sold to an unknown woman yesterday. He weirdly says that he can't really remember anything about her except for the fact that she was pretty and he can't describe her face. Um, I'm wondering, is anyone actually good at describing faces? Like, I watch a lot of Law and & Order and I'm always shocked when the sketch of the person of like that's given by the witness uh, actually looks like the person they arrest. Like, I don't think I could describe Josh's face if somebody wanted me to. And I stare at him constantly. <laughs> I just don't know. I'm like, he's got a nose and cheeks. You know, I don't know. It's interesting that you bring that up because before we read this comic, I was like on the street, like walking past people. And I was sort of just like looking at them in passing and being like, could I describe this person if like they committed a crime and the police asked me? And I'm like, not really. Like I might be able to describe their clothes, clothing and the type of haircut they have and maybe just the general shape of their face, like, you know, either round or long. Yeah. But, but other than that, like, I don't know the words used to describe faces, really. Yeah. I'm not part of like a, a figures drawing class. Heart shaped. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it's very stressful to me. I was once, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on the podcast before. You probably know this, though. What's that? Was, uh, I was a theater student in college. And uh, one time the criminal justice class asked if any theater students wanted to help out with uh, a, uh, an, a an assignment in class where I, I ran in and I pretended to steal the professor's laptop so that the people in the class could like get a good look at me and then they could describe me and then I would I came back in so they could say how accurate they were. Uh -huh. So like they didn't know this was happening. I was just a random person who like walked in when the teacher's back was turned and like stole her laptop and like stood there for a second and like looked at everybody and then just left. Um, and then the teacher was like, where's my laptop? And everyone was like, a girl just came in and took it. Um, <laughs> they did an okay job. I don't know. They, they describe my height all wrong, but... Yeah, yeah, usually they use that in those criminology classes just to show how tenuous uh, the relationship between yeah. people's eyewitness accounts and what the reality was is. I have bright red hair, which is, like, pretty rare. Like, I have not, not like, quite ginger hair. It's, like, sort of like an orangish red... Auburn. Auburn hair. Uh, and many people in the class said I had brown hair. And I was like, no. I mean, it's it's somewhere between brown and red. It's not brown. <laughs> anyway. You get very defensive about this. I do. You know what? Because only 3% of people in the world are redheads. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm very special. <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. I will. Thanks. Uh, of course, the woman who bought the belt was Kathy Kane, also known as Batwoman, as I covered earlier. Oh, I also wanted to point out that the shopkeep at this curio shop sort of looks like Hank Hill. Okay. <laughs> I'm about to bust. <laughs> Kathy Kane tries on the belt before her date with Bruce Wayne. It doesn't match her outfit. 
Well, she she's like flipping through her wardrobe, trying to find what she wants to wear for the date. And she realizes like, oh, I never tried this belt on. It's a belt. It's going to fit. It's got, yeah, it's got a presumably multiple settings, right? It's, as all belts do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's an ancient Tibetan magic belt. It might not. <laughs> as we'll learn. <laughs> yeah. So she tries on the belt and it causes her body to tingle. She removes the belt and goes on with the date. While the two are dancing, Kathy begins to feel weak and Bruce takes her home. But before that, they're dancing and she's like, oh, Bruce, I just wish you were more like Batman. You're nice and all because he knows she's Batwoman, but she doesn't know that he's Batman. And she likes Batman, but she doesn't really like Bruce. But I'm just wondering, why does she belittle him during their date? (laughs) It's true. If she doesn't like him, don't date him. Exactly. Like, why are you going on dates with this man just to like be like, Batman's better than you. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 cruel of her, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when Batman goes home, uh, Dick Grayson is there in their home, and he's dressed in this sort of like sweater vest and slacks and like reading a little book. Yeah, he's dressed like a schoolboy would be in the 1950s. I was wondering, why is Dick always dressed to the nines? <laughs> like, I know t-shirts and jeans were a thing in this time period, why, when he's just sort of laying around Wayne Manor, is he like, ooh, I'm ready for the sock hop at any moment? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a rich kid. He, he's growing up with billionaire Bruce Wayne. I guess you so. You wouldn't be wearing, like, fancy expensive clothes all the time? No. Even if they were, even if they were like, comfy fancy expensive clothes? I mean, I don't necessarily know how people did it in the 50s, but, like, nowadays, billionaires were, like, athleisure. Like, That's the Kardashians, true, yeah. if you watch their show, they're always, like, you know, lounging around the house and, like, it's, you know, really expensive clothes, but it's, like, tracksuits. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're comfy, but they're, you know, product. How do you know that these vests aren't comfy? I don't know. Slacks aren't comfy. They could be. Depend. You know, again, maybe it's very nice fabric. All right. So the next day, Kathy is supposed to appear at a charity circus in costume as Batwoman. Oh, I love let saying, that slide? Yeah, I, I love saying the words charity circus because the comic proceeds as if this is a very normal thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, she still feels weak. Attempting to solve the issue, she puts the belt back on, which again tingles, but also brings back her strength. She goes to the circus, and Batman is relieved to see that she is feeling better. Batman and Robin notice that Kathy is wearing the belt from the museum. Unfortunately, the spectacle is being televised, and Starman also sees Batwoman wearing the belt. Why is Starman just hanging out in his costume, in his hideout or wherever he is? (laughs) He never takes off the gimmick. No. Also, it's really wild this charity circus is being broadcast live, like it's news or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, I mean, this is the 60s, this is like 1960s, so there's only like four channels on television. I guess so. You would think that they would have something better to air than this. No. Uh, my theory for Starman wearing his costume in his hideout all the time is that it helps him with everyday chores. So if he needs to like sweep or vacuum under the couch, he can just lift the couch up with his super strength. That's actually... That is granted him by his costume. That's a good point. The dynamic duo begin their act, which involves riding motorcycles on a raised platform around a loop and then jumping onto another platform. However... Starman but bursts in and lifts their landing strip out of the way. They also have like a really long conversation in the midst of this one loop, so it must be an enormous loop. <laughs> There's like a couple... Or they're traveling very slowly. You wouldn't be able to with a loop. 
They have like a few dialogue yeah. bubbles back and forth. I don't think they they thought through like the timeline of this. No, because you starting... and I have ridden roller coasters before, where it goes through a loop. We couldn't say a couple things back and forth to each other in that loop. Yeah, no, for sure. Starman also he's watching this on television and it immediately shows up to like the circus. So either his hideout was right next to where the circus was. I think he does say that he's oh, like that's he? right here, right near here. When oh, he's, really? When he's like watching TV. Oh, yeah. Okay. Lucky. Of course. Of course. Deus Ex Machina, all over the place. Uh, anyway, Batwoman moves to stop him, and simultaneously, Starman feels his super strength begin fading, and Batwoman is stopped by a force that makes her vibrate like a quote-unquote tensioned spring. The Masked Manhunter and Boy Wonder alter their cycle's trajectory, bouncing off a nearby trampoline and giving chase to Starman. That trampoline would a thousand percent break. Oh, for sure. You can't land a motorcycle on a trampoline. I, I, it's not great. Maybe for if that. it's like a circus trampoline, they mm-hmm. ha- no. Mm, okay. They would they would eat it. <laughs> they would completely eat it. <laughs> As Starman flees, he feels his powers return and is able to twist the steel exit gates of the arena, allowing for his escape from the pursuing crime fighters. The dynamic duo return to Batwoman, removing the belt from her and deducing that every time she wears the belt, she absorbs power, but every time she removes it, she becomes weaker. Eventually, her weak body will not be able to withstand the power and she will die. Batman reassures the now-sobbing Kathy that they will make sure that she doesn't die and they go to visit Malcolm Fraser, the man who discovered the belt. From Mr. Fraser, they learn that the belt has three parts, with the strap Batwoman has being one, the star emblem owned by Starman being the second, and the third being a buckle that is owned by a buckle manufacturer in his buckle collection. Mm-hmm. You were very tickled by this. <laughs> I just, I was, I was grateful that I got to say the word buckle three times in one sentence. It got to the point where I was rereading the sentence to make sure it made sense and the word buckle started to lose all meaning. <laughs> Tibetan legend says that if the three pieces are fitted together, it will grant the wearer even more incredible powers along with immortality. Batman and Robin head off to the buckle manufacturing plant to secure the final piece, but are caught unawares by Starman waiting for them. Starman's able to knock out both Batman and Robin with just one punch. He's got super strength. What pimp. (laughs) He's got super strength. How does he know that the last piece was here at the buckle manufacturing place? The comic never tells us. No. (laughs) He knocks out Batman and Robin, ties them to a metal stamping machine, and as they come to, they see Starman take the buckle and insert his star emblem into it, which grants him the ability to defy gravity. Before he can activate the press to flatten the dynamic duo, Batwoman shows up, offering the belt for their freedom. Starman leaps towards her to snatch the belt, but she quickly puts it on, which causes Starman to lose his power and fall out of the air, and it dazes him. Batwoman is once again frozen by the powerful force, risking her life for the Cape Crusader, and Starman begins crawling towards her to grab the belt. Thinking quickly, Batman works his boot off and kicks it, sending it flying towards a light fixture. He then grabs a piece of broken glass with his toes. Oh my god. Don't try this at home, children. 
which he uses to cut the ropes around him and Robin, allowing him to tackle the criminal right before he is able to grab the belt. Just when I think that Batman's escapes can't get more ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't know why I'm surprised. I was like horrified by every step of that. <laughs> Removing shoes, kicking towards a light fixture, grabbing a piece of glass with your toes. Oh, yeah. As Robin cuffs Starman, Batman assembles all three pieces together and fits the belt around Batwoman, which fixes her condition. Why? How? Again, the comic doesn't tell us. Even though she would have superpowers and immortality with the belt, both she and Batman agree that they should destroy the belt so that no one else will be driven to crime by the allure of its immense power. I am so angry about the resolution of this comic it's immortality and not a single one of the three of them batman batwoman or robin is even a little bit curious about that prospect even just to like prolong your life a little bit yeah i mean these comics at least uh later on when we get those alfred stories alfred is like oh i wonder what's going to happen to batman like someone will have to take over the batman mantle imagine if batman could just be batman forever because he's got immortality and superpowers although batman forever not a great movie (laughs) but just like think about all the people you could help so you know what this this comic convinced me i'm i'm gonna go join the league of shadows (laughs) it's ridiculous And with uh, this one, you don't go insane. That's true. Unlike a Lazarus pit. Exactly. Yeah. Good good In- deduction, detective. Insanity-free immortality. Sign me up. <laughs> and super strength. And f- you get to fly. Yeah. This is bull. I hate it. <laughs> I'm glad whoever wrote this comic didn't put their name on it. Because I would beat them up. Or more po- likely... Posthumously. More likely just go desecrate their grave. <laughs> So that's the end of the comic. I did want to mention that there is an ad later on in the comic for a fun for boys book. It is 256 pages and you can order it for just one dollar when adjusted for inflation. That's about nine dollars and fifty cents in 2022. Can I guess what some of the stuff in this fun for boys book is? Oh, yes, please. I have a list of all the things that you can do in fun for boys. Okay. Um, I'm guessing there's probably some sort of, like, puzzles, Uh, word word searches and such. I believe there are some of those, yes. Okay, there's gotta be some sort of, like, guide for identifying bugs. (laughs) Uh, no, I think there was a guide for bird watching. Okay, I was close, I was (laughs) close. Okay, okay. That's definitely very scout behavior. Oh, probably some sort of thing about, like, oh, here's how to be a good citizen of the world and help ladies cross the street. No, I don't think that that was one of them. Uh, let's see. Here's what I have. So the book was originally published 1943. You know I looked this up. Mm-hmm. If you want to buy it on eBay, you can get it for anywhere between 9 bucks and $23. So uh, adjusted for inflation, the price really hasn't changed that much. It, I guess it wasn't that rare. Uh, you can learn how to become a whiz at ping pong, mm. how to teach your dog tricks, woodworking, cartoon and still life drawings, Party magic, boxing, wrestling, and jujitsu techniques. Wow. Lasso tricks, shadow puppets, and ventriloquism. Mm. <laughs> All things that could make you a really good Batman villain in the future. Of course. Has there ever been like a cowboy themed Batman villain? No, but oddly, we will talk a little bit about that during Road Roundup. <laughs> 
Well, okay, let's get into Rogue Roundup. Now, this Rogue Roundup isn't going to be about Starman, because this is the only comic that this character has appeared in. Yes, and he doesn't even have a name. No, he doesn't get like he doesn't get like a, a real identity. This, he's literally just Starman. Yeah. Well, there are a multitude of characters who have taken up the mantle of the <laughs> Starman. Uh, this is the only villain, so I figured instead we could focus on all of the good Starmen throughout comic history. Okay. The first Starman was Ted Knight, created by Gardner Fox and Jack Burnley. Ted debuted in 1941 and wore a red and green suit with this iconic fin helmet. Uh, he uses a gravity rod, later called the Cosmic Rod, to fly and manipulate energy, not unlike a lantern core ring. As an astronomer slash scientist, Ted actually created this power rod himself. Ted was a member of the Justice Society of America and spent many years in retirement after the Golden Age, but obviously returned to action numerous times before being killed in battle. <gasps> but don't worry, no one's ever really gone. Okay. He returns once more as a ghost to communicate with his son, Jack. Oh. Jack Knight was the Starman of the 1990s. He wielded his father's signature cosmic staff, but refused to wear a costume, instead fighting crime in a t-shirt, leather jacket, and a fake sheriff star badge. That's what I'm talking about. Just be comfy while you're fighting crime. Between Ted and Jack, however, was Jack's older brother, David, who took up the mantle of Starman uh, after his father retired. However, he was killed by an assassin only four years after his debut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like his father, David occasionally appears as a ghost, and he was also reanimated as a member of the Black Lantern Corps during Blackest Night. Ooh. So outside of the Knight family legacy of Starman, uh, we have, this is the actual name of the character, the Starman of 1951. Okay. In the original continuity of DC Comics, this is actually Batman operating as a star-themed superhero after a villain hypnotized him into a fear of bats. Yeah, so, we might cover this this uh, this like story later on, yeah. so don't give away too much. Starman 2. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Post-crisis, however, this was retconned so that this star man was actually changed to be Charles McNiter, a.k.a. Dr. Midnight. Oh, okay. Uh, And then one time, there was a gay alien who was star man. (laughs) Mikhail Thomas was one of the earliest openly gay superheroes. Mikhail was actually a direct reference to the David Bowie song, Starman, which I serenaded you all with at the beginning of this episode, uh, which is a song about a kind alien who comes to Earth to save the planet from being destroyed. Mikhail's homeworld is Talok 3, and although he is originally sent to Earth to conquer it, he turns against his own people and defends the human race. Uh, as I mentioned, Mikhail was an openly gay superhero, uh, and his partner Tony was introduced in 1998, and the relationship lasted 12 years in DC continuity until Tony's tragic murder by unnamed supervillains, which is very lame. Oh, wow. It's very fridgy ma- yeah. material. Yeah. Killing off someone's lover in order to be like, oh, but like we'll never even tell you who killed them. Don't worry <laughs> about it. Yeah, that's that's pretty progressive for the late 90s. I know. Especially because the late 90s was this period in comics where they were trying to go, like, super machismo. Like, that's, you know, late 80s, early 90s is when they were like, this is Bane. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like, every, every single guy that got introduced during that period was like, he's got huge guns and huge guns. <laughs> like, yeah. I did yeah. a flexing motion for the listeners. Like, just these, like, barreling, like, yeah. masses of muscle and, like, rage. And no feet. <laughs> yeah. 
the Rob Liefeldification of comics. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then one time, an alien prince was Starman. Ooh. Prince Gavin came from a royal family whose custom, you'll like this, their custom was to throw the younger child in the family out of a spaceship airlock <laughs> so that they couldn't challenge their older sibling for the throne. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Josh is the oldest in his family. Uh, when this happened to Gavin, he discovered he had powers that allowed him to survive in space. Ooh. Uh, he was then gifted jeweled wristbands and a staff by an alien mystic. Because, of course, uh, which let him fly interstellar distances and shoot energy balls. Okay, why did this alien culture not just use contraceptives if they were going to kill their child by throwing them out into space? Well, because you always need, like, an heir and a spare. But once it gets to, like, you know, later later on where the heir is ready to, like, have their own children and continue their line, you need some sort of... I don't think it's a bad idea, honestly. You know, keep keep somebody from, from doing a coup. You don't even play Crusader Kings and you're already being ruthless like this. Mm, yeah. like Game of Thrones. <laughs> so, you know, I mentioned earlier... We were chatting a little bit a bit about a cowboy villain. Yes, okay. yes. Uh, so guess what? Uh, there's a Starman of the Old West. Ooh! Introduced in a 2008 issue of Jonah Hex, Victor Sono immigrated from Italy into the United States after the Civil War. His father was mocked for being uh, physically disabled, uh, like crippled. Okay. Uh, and he, when he applied to go work as a sheriff, you know, he wanted to be a sheriff. He was mocked and laughed at. Um, and even worse, Victor found his father's dead body hanged by a posse of cruel lawmen mm. who they couldn't just be like, no, we won't give you a job. They're like, actually, also, we are going to murder you. So deciding to avenge his father's death, he steals a pistol and goes after the lawman. But the owner of that pistol, Jonah, Jonah Hex, Hex. Okay. <laughs> puts a stop to his rampage before he can do much damage and takes the young Victor to an orphanage where he would be safe. Years later, the two cross paths again, and Victor, now going by the name Starman, reveals that he dedicated his life to killing unjust lawmen, and every time he kills one, he adds their sheriff stars to his coat. So he's got a chest full of sheriff stars. <laughs> that's why he's Starman. That's really cool. That's honestly, it. that's a really cool. I need to figure out what comic this is, yeah. like what issue number. That know. sounds awesome. I can, I can figure it out. We can put it in the show notes, yeah. And then, of course, there is uh, the teenage superhero, Star Girl. So Courtney Whitmore was created by Jeff Johns, and she debuted in 1999. The character's name, appearance, and personality is based on Johns' sister, who tragically died in a plane crash in 1996. Courtney's stepfather is Pat Dugan, formerly uh, S-T-R-I-P-E, or Stripe, the adult sidekick to the teen superhero Star Spangled Kid. So Star Spangled Kid was like the main hero, and then he had a, an adult sidekick who was like in a big metal suit. Yeah, Star Spangled Kid had like his own comic series in the 50s, Yeah, and Robin was a frequent uh, like appearance in that. I think we talked about this where I said that like Robin has more comic appearances than Batman up to a certain point because Robin starred in like all of these like you know ones that just had teen superheroes yeah teen titans yeah yeah the character of Star Spangled Kid has sort of been sort of reimagined in the CW Stargirl show he's played by Joel McHale and uh, I think Pat Dugan also is in that show, played by Luke Wilson. And, like, there's this, you know, whole thing between them where he's always, like, belittling his, like, 
adult sidekick. <laughs> um, although he's not really a teen in the show because obviously he's John McHale. Yeah. Uh, so Courtney finds the Star Spangled Kid's costume and her stepfather's stuff and the two team up to fight crime. Uh, Courtney is then gifted Jack Knight's cosmic staff, kind of taking on the role from the Knight family, uh, to become the new star girl when she joins the Justice Society of America. Now, I mentioned she's a teenager. While in the JSA, she starts dating Captain Marvel, whose secret identity, Billy Batson, is the same age as her. But other members of the JSA who don't know that object to her dating the seemingly adult Captain Marvel. And instead of revealing his secret identity, Captain Marvel just leaves Courtney and the JSA for a bit. He's wow. like, I can't deal with this. I'm just going to go. I don't want to explain it. And then he comes back and he's like, ah, oh, the wisdom of Solomon forbids me from telling you who I am. Also, I have to break up with you, Courtney. Sorry. Wow. So that's something in her storyline that I thought was odd. Um, but yeah, her comic is uh, still going on, I'm pretty sure. But her uh, CW show is in its second or third season. I guess the comic explores that, but like... Is that okay to date a, a, like, if you're a teen and you're dating a teen in a, in a full-grown man's body? Yeah. Like, obviously, what happens in the movie Big is wrong. Yes. That's a, that's a child that's in a, a child. man's body who, who an adult woman is, is dating. Yes. That's wrong. Yes. <laughs> you know, there's different iterations of this. There actually is an episode of Law & Order SVU, which I have been watching a lot of, where there's this syndrome that can, that affects a small percentage of women where you look like a prepubescent girl for like years. Yeah. Maybe yeah. forever. I don't I know. Think, like, and they, you know, they, they go after this woman's boyfriend because they're like, you're only going after her because she's, looks like she's a minor. And he's like, well, she's not a minor, so it's legal. Uh, so technically, yeah. But then I'm also like, there is that, um, there, there is that syndrome where you can, you rapidly age. Like my brother went to high school with a guy who had that. Um, and you know, he was the same age as my brother when they were teenagers, but he looked like he was an old man. And Uh. there's the movie Jack, which is like, not really exactly how that condition works, but you know, it's not just you look like a 40 year old man, but you're in fourth grade. You sort of just look old forever. Hmm. Um, but I don't know if you looked like you were really old, and you dated somebody who is the same age as you. I mean, yeah, that should be fine, right? <laughs> I guess. It's not about how you look. It should be about There's there's no real taboo for children having like taking interest in adults. It's the other way around is the taboo. But if the adult if the person looks like an adult but they're not an adult, we shouldn't really be, you know, yeah, that's we, what I'm saying. Yeah, we shouldn't be being cruel to them because, <laughs> you know, they're just a, a child. Uh, and also, sadly, you know, people who have that that disease where you rapidly age, they don't tend to live very long. Yeah, so that'd be yeah. cruel to be like, you can never have love. So, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of a downer. Yeah, th- yeah this really went off the rails, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. This is what happens when we don't write scripts. <laughs> Did you have more to say about Stargirl? Nope, that... that's it. No? Okay, she's uh, got I a guess, CW show. Yeah, I tried watching some of it on YouTube. It's a CW show, so okay. not... There was one scene that I watched that I was like, oh, this might be interesting, and it was like the original members of the JSA, so it was like Jay Garrick and uh, Star Spangled Kid and Catman and Our Man. Oh, nice. And I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting, and it wasn't. They just were standing around and talking. <laughs> so, if you like that... You know, Thursday nights on the CW at eight or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Ask Josh's mom. She watches them all. 
uh, Stargirl, I know, is in, oh, what was that? Justice League Action, I think, is she shows up in. Mm-hmm. She wasn't in, I don't think she was in, like, the original Justice League shows. She's in, like, in that the early pinup 2000s. comic also. She's in the, the DC Oh, bombshells. DC Bombshells, yeah. yeah. She and uh, Supergirl are, like, Russian sisters in that. Oh, that's interesting. And people think they're witches. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Bombshells is wild. It's good. I like it. Okay, well, I think that that is the end of our podcast. If you liked what you heard, go on iTunes, give us a rating. Give us a good rating. We'll read it out loud on the podcast. Uh, Let's see. You can email us at uh, batmatespodcast at gmail.com. And you can send us a DM on Twitter, but we don't really tweet that much. At batmates Mm -hmm. on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, have a good week, everybody. Bye bye. This was our April Fool's Day episode. April Fools. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs>